Coming up this hour, there was an update about the Bubba Wallace story. And then we're going to be joined by Andrew Lee, senior pastor of Chicago Christian Union Church. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, happy Wednesday and welcome to The Common Good. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Common Good Radio Show. Find us online, 1160hope.com. Uh, podcast, get our podcast wherever it is you get podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. We're grateful for those of you who do it. Uh, Ian, uh, we have moved to a new level here. Somebody who listens to our show sent me a meme today, and it just said, guess what day it is with a picture of a camel. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> is this uh, your wife? It is not. It is somebody that I know, but uh, they would have only heard it on our show, so it made me laugh. You you don't you don't use that in sermons. That doesn't make I it do way to your sermonizing. You know, if I preached on Wednesdays, I would. <laughs> <laughs> that, would that would practically be your call to worship. It would be hump day. How everybody? And so, uh, yeah, glad that it's catching on again after after it was part of our culture like five years ago. <laughs> I was gonna, I don't think it's catching on, Brian. I think you're. <laughs> You are using too, think, too, too strong a phrase there. Most people want to stay ahead of the trends. I like to lag behind. <laughs> well, then you are excelling, sir. I'm excelling in this one. Well, again, we're glad that you're joining us today. And uh, during yesterday's show, Ian and I uh, had a pretty lengthy discussion about Bubba Wallace uh, and that story out of NASCAR in which there was a noose that was found in his garage at Talladega. And uh, the really cool thing that all the other drivers did, that's what we talked about yesterday, where they got out of their cars kind of in solidarity and unity, pushed his car to the front, and they were all there with him. Uh, right after our show ended yesterday, uh, that story took kind of a major turn Uh it was found out, not found out, it was determined by the FBI that that the the rope or the noose had been there probably since at least October of 2019. It was described as a, uh, a pull down for a garage door, but yet nobody's uh, saying that it wasn't in the shape of a noose. And so this, the story has gotten really confusing. And I would say everything that's bad about social media has now jumped on this uh, story. And uh, I saw Bubba Wallace on the Today Show this morning, and man, did he sound tired and dispirited. It was really kind of hard to watch. But um, he said he's being tested each and every day uh, after this probe. And so uh, when you saw how that story kind of blew up with kind of the new angle yesterday, Ian, uh, what were your thoughts after the discussion we had had during our show yesterday? Well, well, people, of course, jumped right to the Jesse Smollett accusation, which... At least at this point, and again, this story could change again after we're done here. Who knows? Mm-hmm. That feels wildly unfair. What what Jesse Smollett did, well, we've already covered it. And then again, which is it's interesting to think back to that because the same sort of thing happened to us, though, on the show where on one day yes. we reported yes. it as, well, this is the thing that happened. And then like a day or two later, eh, maybe it was more than that, it was found out to not be true at all. And so you and I, you know, came back on the air and we're like, we were totally wrong. Apparently with, you know, thousands of other people, this one, this one is tricky. It's still pretty fresh. So I I don't feel totally confident in the details yet, but kind of part of your question though, which I think is a fascinating one is watching how the internet has responded. 
not surprising, but certainly disappointing. But it's just bizarre how we we don't ever seem satisfied with like one more reason to rip each other apart like that. That just that seems so evident and so clear. Like, here's another thing for us to wildly disagree on. And I don't I don't know. It it is peculiar, though. I mean, wouldn't you agree that to say that it's been there since October and some are saying, well, how did no one notice it? And now there's all these photos that are showing up. And then some people are saying that's actually photoshopped. You're like, oh, great. How do you actually get to the bottom? Like, who do you who do you trust now at this point? You know, like it just gets so convoluted and, and murky and i i don't i know that we're like radio hosts and we're supposed to have like some angle or perspective i step back and just say i mean this is just sad i don't know i don't know that i know what to do with it yeah he uh wallace said that the fbi said to them that they said absolutely it is a noose but not a functioning noose but it is a noose and they were right. curious on why it was even hanging um uh, as well uh, Wallace expressed relief that he was not targeted, though he doubted the conclusion that the rope was part of a, quote, garage pull. Uh, he vehemently denied the notion that the noose was staged. And if you remember the way the story has at least been reported to this point, uh, he's not the one who found it. And so uh, in the original, it was told to him and then passed on to NASCAR. The, the social media one for me uh, continues to be discouraging and and not surprising anymore. Like my timeline yesterday after this blew up was uh, lots of people going, uh, "Why do they even have nooses? Like this only per- this only shows that NASCAR is this." Like they jumped on that side, and then the other half was like exactly what you just said. If I saw the name Jesse Smollett or Bubba Wallace's face next to Jesse Smollett's face one more time in my timeline yesterday, I was going to go crazy. Right. Uh, but, but the, the differentiation between those two and then people just going nuts at the media, like why did they report that they wanted this to be true? And it was like, uh, I kind of sat, sat back and went, can, can the whole thing be like that? Somebody reported it. They saw it. They thought it was a big deal. The FBI did what they do. They figured out it wasn't what was necessarily reported and that that's a good thing that nobody was doing anything. But instead, uh, it just went crazy. And I don't know. I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but man, does it just feel uh, symbolic or or yeah, of of all that is wrong kind of with our culture right now. Maybe I'm overstepping and just taking it too far here. But the way people drove ran to their polls on this one. It, again, I feel like there's a daily thing where I say this, but it was just really disheartening to see, but it's becoming less and less surprising. Well, would it would it be disheartening, though, if what was actually found out was that it really was similar to a Jesse Smollett situation and he had actually, I don't know, planted it or fabric like with that in your mind? Say, oh, well, then everyone went too far. Is it is it because there's not enough details that you still feel like everyone's gone too far or are you saying people went too far too quickly or mm. Which which for you is the is the part that is the, the most discouraging part? part? Yeah. Uh, for me, it's everybody um, pontificating once it was figured out it wasn't what originally people thought of, you know, a noose that was sent to him for a message. Uh, for me, it's everybody jumping to conclusions that either he staged it, which there's no evidence that he did. Uh, or I even saw a report to say that NASCAR staged it to try to curry goodwill. Uh, Or the other side uh, that, you know, it's still a big deal. Like people were just jumping to these conclusions that fit their narratives. That's where I got discouraged. Not that, Mm. you know, that it was reported fine or that it was 
Uh, I think everything that NASCAR did, that that moment of solidarity at the race is still powerful. It doesn't take away from that at all for me. Uh, my discouragement was just in how everybody ran. And if it turns into a Jesse Smollett thing, he should be, uh, Bubba Wallace should, should get in trouble for that. He should take the fall for that. But there doesn't seem to be any indication necessarily at this point that that's the case. It feels like now is a time for NASCAR to, to continue to rally around Wallace, to be honest. It feels like he's left to be the sole person responding to, like you even mentioned in the video, he seems tired and disheartened. Yes. Like, could it, could it be, is it overstating that like maybe now even more than ever, NASCAR needs to really come alongside him and to say, hey, whether it was nine months ago or nine hours ago, whatever, we we still support this. Like we love this guy. We know that he's the only black driver in all of NASCAR. Like it it does feel a little bit like he's out on an island right now. Totally. And uh, I, I do feel like it's an opportunity for for NASCAR to really show up. I agree with you. And uh, you know, people might be saying, well, it could be no. Until there's evidence that he did something, and right now there's no evidence of that. I think. Uh, people need to come around him and the today show, like I said today, when they did a great interview with him, but he seemed so tired and the, the host even asked him about the solidarity moment. He's like, I'm even having a hard time thinking about that right now. Like he felt mm. really on an Island, as you said. So mm. uh, the story keeps moving. So we'll see if something else happens today, but you can uh, give us your feedback at our Facebook page, the common good radio show coming up next. We're going to be joined by Andrew Lee, uh, soon to be retiring senior pastor and the author of a Christianity Today post called Standing Between White Privilege and Black Disprivilege, an Asian American Perspective. Andrew's going to join us next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, over these past weeks or a month, uh, Ian and I have talked a lot about uh, how profitable it has been for us to talk to many different pastors and ministry leaders uh, in the area. And today, uh, right now, we are really excited to be joined by Andrew Lee. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, glad to be here. Absolutely. Well, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Well, I've been the senior pastor of the Chinese Christian Union Church in Chicago. Uh, I retired last year as senior pastor, and I stayed on uh, for one more year as advisory pastor. And at the end of this month, that's it for full-time ministry. It'll be wow. 41 years of full-time ministry, either as a pastor or as a professor or uh, with a Christian organization. Wow. Now, you wrote an article for Christianity Today just just a couple of days ago, and the headline alone I thought was fascinating. It says, Standing Between White Privilege and Black Disprivilege, an Asian-American Perspective. Can you talk to us a little more about that article? Sure. Um, my colleague at Wheaton uh, at the Global Diaspora Institute, Sam George, had suggested that I write something about what was going on in Chinatown in the wake of the marches, the looting. Uh, but I decided to expand it. Uh, to look at it from a broader perspective of, uh, from an Asian American perspective, and specifically for myself as a Chinese American, you know, how are we supposed to, uh, not supposed to, but, you know, what is one way in which we can uh, see what's going on and try to uh, think about it? And, uh, and just, especially from a Christian perspective, is the, you know, is there anything that would help us uh, look at the situation and then also look at ourselves and our situation? And especially for Chinese and I think Asian Americans in general, and I've noted this in the article that uh, some of the 
the relationships, interactions between African-Americans, the black community, and Asian-Americans uh, has not always been that positive. So as believers, mm-hmm. we're supposed to love everyone, regardless of color, race, ethnicity, uh, but then you're still dealing with your own personal realities and experiences. So I just want to write a little bit about that. That's, all, that's great. In, in the article, you say, <clears throat> excuse me, as a minority immigrant, I've personally encountered racism in both overt and subtle ways. As a uh, Asian American, I'm curious if you could unpack that a little bit. What what would be part of your uh, kind of your story that we should know? Well, part of it is being ignored mm. <laughs> because mm. you're not uh, majority uh, culture, right? You know the the, the, the minority racial uh, component here. So sometimes you can be in a conversation discussion and you're kind of cut out of things. Uh, or you're being very polite, trying to wait for people to finish speaking, and then you have something to say, and then someone just breaks in, cuts in, so it's really hard to even get your voice in. And that's just minor, but that's just an example. Mm-hmm. Now, what are the things, like Brian and I are both uh, white pastors in the suburbs, and so for the last month or so, maybe longer, we've, we've been trying to really intentionally listen more, to talk less, realizing just how much we have to learn. And we'll probably get into this more in the second segment, but I feel like in particular, there's a number of conversations around race happening, I think, across the planet, but especially here in the United States. And I'd love to know, just as someone who leads and cares about the Bible deeply, how how do you navigate all of the vitriol that we see in the media and online amidst all the disagreements, even among Christian brothers and sisters, how, how do you sort of navigate through all of those divisions and disagreements? Hmm. It's sad that we can't come to an agreement. Uh, you know, in a sense, it's unfortunate because it would seem that the Bible is pretty clear about the second commandment and loving your neighbor as yourself, but uh, I but people have different perspectives. And of course, from their own perspective, they are justified in holding the view that they have, right? You know, so trying to reconcile these differences uh, can be difficult because it's emotionally charged. And a lot mm-hmm. begins with just listening, right? If we don't listen and understand the other person's story, it's hard to be uh, empathetic. It's hard to be sympathetic even. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, I was watching something, I think it was last night, uh, that all of the rhetoric around COVID-19, uh, people calling it, you know, the Chinese flu or such uh, different things like that. Uh, what effect has that had on you and, and on your church as you kind of hear those things repeated over and over again? Uh, I'm not sure if there's anyone who really enjoys <laughs> uh, hearing those terms. Uh, another one is Kung Flu, <laughs> which a certain person has been uh, using repeatedly in the last week. Uh, it's, we feel that it's, it's a very racist comment. Mm. At least I do. Okay. I won't try to speak for everyone. I think it's racist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's an organization called 8020. It's an Asian American organization and, uh, they've organized politically. It's a non-Christian organization, but they're organizing to unseat president Trump. Uh, because of what they perceive to be very racist comments and policies. Hmm. And can you help us understand, because, I, I mean, just for the record, I agree. 
I also know we've gotten some messages and some heat and some, and we know that, you know, Brian and I are not always going to get it right or ever, you know, for that matter. But I've heard a number of people say, oh, come on. Is it that, is it that big a deal? You know, the term snowflake gets tossed around. Can you help us just unpack a little bit why that rhetoric, why that language, especially from people in leadership is not only so damaging, but so dangerous. Well, it galvanizes those who follow them uh, uh, into particular viewpoints and even actions. Hmm. A professor at San Francisco State University, Dr. Dr. Russell Jung, who happens to be a believer, uh, he created a website for people to report incidences of uh, racial attacks against Asian Americans uh, ever since this began. So he felt it was necessary to do that, and I think mm-hmm. this type of rhetoric encourages uh, this line of thinking and uh, actions against uh, Asian Americans. Mm-hmm. You were telling us a little bit, I would love to get more information about, you said there's an Asian American prayer march coming up soon. Could you give us uh, kind of the uh, background of that, the information for anyone who might want to get involved in it as well? Sure. Uh, Ray Chang, who's the president of the Asian American Christian Collaborative, uh, he wanted to organize a march strictly for Asian Americans in support of the black community. So he asked us, uh, Chinese Christian Union Church, uh, about holding it here in Chinatown. And uh, it's being planned for this coming Sunday, 3.30. We're going to begin at the water taxi stop at Ping Tom Park, uh, go to a site in Chinatown where two murders occurred earlier this year, and we will pray there as well. Then we'll head over to uh, my church, CCUC, and spend some time there, a little bit of time there. And then from there, we'll march to Progressive Baptist Church uh, further down, about a mile and a half uh, further down on Wentworth Avenue, and Charlie Dates is the senior pastor there. So it's a march from a 105-year-old church in Chinatown to a 101-year-old church further mm-hmm. south to an African-American wow. community. And we will be lamenting uh, the, the racial tension that uh, that we experience both as African-Americans and as Asian-Americans and sometimes uh, with actions against each other. Uh, we'll be praying for reconciliation and we'll be praying for our city our state, our country. Mm-hmm. That's great. That other voice hearing is uh, Reverend Andrew Lee, uh, soon to be retired senior pastor of Chicago Christian Union Church. And we're grateful that Andrew is going to continue to join us in the next segment as we continue to talk about his piece at Christianity Today called Standing Between White Privilege and Black Disprivilege and Asian American Perspective. We're going to continue that conversation coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. Uh, We are grateful to be joined for a second segment by Andrew Lee. And uh, Andrew, you told us in the first segment with us uh, that here in short order, you're going to be retiring after 41 years in ministry. Uh, First of all, congratulations on that. But second of all, uh, I'm just wondering... uh, 
if you could help us even understand how is it different uh, 40 years later? Uh, how is it different being a pastor than when you started? And, uh, you know, is the church progressing or, or are you concerned? Talk to us about 40 years in ministry. Sure. Uh, so I'm retiring after 41 years in full-time ministry, but of course I'll still be uh, with the Global Diaspora Institute, uh, and that's just part-time work at Wheaton College. Uh, so I'm not retiring from ministry, but to answer your question, what was it like in 1979 versus now? Uh, there are probably many differences, but the one that I really, the, the one that really strikes me, is the lack of respect for God and the truths of God, mm. because we are now in a postmodern age. So where do truths come from? How do people decide what is true? And I'm sure you're aware that people decide for themselves or society as a group decides that this is what truth is, at least for right now in this season of the world. So where is the truth from the word of God? And if we believe that uh, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, if we believe at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in the seventh chapter of Matthew, when Jesus speaks about the foolish man who builds his house on sand and the wise man who builds his house upon a rock because he listens to the word of God, follows the word of God, mm. then what are we saying about society? Mm. It's a society of fools, if you want to use that definition, that description, because we're not building it on the truths of God's word. Mm. And any time that human beings take center stage, God recedes even further into the background. Uh, so if you remember the four spiritual laws mm -hmm. uh, and some of those diagrams, right, where the self is sitting on the throne of life and, you know, God is somewhere off to the side or not even in the circle, it just seems to me that that's what we're finding more and more of. And that's what I find most alarming uh, because where is the truth? Where is mm -hmm. reverence? for God, and the less you respect God, the less you respect other people. Hmm. I want to go back to the article that you wrote for Christianity Today, and again, the headline is Standing Between White Privilege and Black Disprivilege, an Asian American Perspective. And I want to ask you specifically about that word privilege and disprivilege. I'm not sure I've seen a whole lot of people use that. I know that Louis Giglio was in the news, Brian and I talked about it, where he had sort of tried to swap white privilege for white blessing and then kind of came under storm, and he, of course apologize, but not after he and Lecrae and Dan Cathy got, you know, caught up in this swirl. When, when you talk about white privilege and black disprivilege, what, what are you really talking about and where do those terms come from for you? Well, white privilege refers uh, just to the benefits that one receives in this society from being white. And then black disprivilege would be to me the opposite, where you are disprivileged or deprivileged simply because you're black. So if you see a black person, uh, certain emotions may arise in people's minds, certain thoughts may arise in people's uh, hearts, and uh, they assign certain characteristics to the person purely on the basis of color. They really don't see the person as an individual, they just see color. Hmm. Uh, that's where a lot of the racism comes from. And as an Asian American, uh, we stand in between because we are not white and we're not black but we probably we're probably aligned more closely uh to the privileged the white side as i say in the article 
uh, we receive residual benefits uh, for uh, being Asian American. And it's very easy for us to ignore the plight of others, even poorer Asian Americans, new immigrants mm. who don't speak English, and just be happy that we're enjoying the American dream. We're enjoying the good life, and we forget about others. Mm -hmm. You asked the question in your article, how do I as a Chinese American view the protests that have swept across our country? Uh, how did you, how would you answer that question? How did you, as you were watching on your TV or right, you know, right down your street, uh, the protests taking place, what were your feelings about them all? Well, uh, as a minority, I understand, but I don't really understand mm -hmm. because I'm not African American. I'm not black. Uh, I, I don't have to deal with all the things that they deal with so it's again easy to ignore it you know so intellectually i can understand what's going on emotionally i can be uh, removed from it unless i intentionally say this is something i have to believe in so this is something i need to do something about and have a voice in the matter about because it's not mm -hmm. right from a christian perspective mm -hmm. So one of the things that Brian and I try to do on the show and try being the operative word, we don't always do it successfully, but we, we always want to move from like observing and pontificating to, to some kind of action. Like what, what do we now do in light of this article or this interview or this revelation? And I would love for you to just speak a minute or two to from where you sit or where you stand. What, what, are, what are some ways forward amidst all of this chaos, all this division all of the, I mean, we're in, I mean, we heard people say for months and months, unprecedented times. I know that people kind of got annoyed with that, but if, it still feels legitimate. What would you say are maybe some ways forward that people listening, regardless of their background, can kind of all take a step together? Listening, as I've said before, we need to listen to or to understand uh, what the other side is experiencing. Yeah. And that could be with people we know, uh, especially Christians of color. It can come from uh, reading resources because more and more there are resources available, reading blogs, all these help to give us perspective. But what I also read somewhere is that we should not take up the anger for them in the sense that we should not berate those who don't get it. Uh, it's mm. not our job to berate them. It's our job to listen and understand. Mm and mm -hmm. empathize and see what we can do to help. That's great. Well, so that's shorter than one or two minutes. But <laughs> the, the word is that's listen, right? listen, yeah, that's good. Uh, right, right, it's good. Let every man be, right, quick to hear, yeah. slow to speak, slow to anger. Yep, yep. Andrew, with like the minute we have left, I do, just in case people weren't listening, uh, the first segment that you were with us, could you tell us again about the Asian American Prayer March and how people can get involved with it? Sure, they can just come down, but uh, there is a website, AsianAmericanChristianCollaborative.com forward slash March, and there's a link there to uh, register, to purchase T-shirts, and it gives some general details. But we'll be meeting at the water taxi stop, Ping Tom Memorial Park in Chinatown at 3.30, and we'll begin the march around 4 o'clock, and we'll make our way down to Progressive Baptist Church uh, around 37th Street in Wentworth. Right on. Thank you very much. That's uh, Andrew Lee that you've been hearing. He's the uh, soon-to-be-retiring senior pastor of Chicago Christian Union Church and uh, the author 
uh, of a new article of Christianity Today called Standing Between White Privilege and Black Disprivilege in Asian American Perspective. Andrew, we're really grateful for your taking the time to be with us. Thanks so much for joining us today. No, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. You are listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for joining us on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Mm. Yeah. Oh, you agree. Uh, where, are you, where are you today, by the way? My freezing, dank basement. Oh, might as well be snowing outside. <laughs> yeah, right. Who, who even knows what it's like out there? People may not be aware of this, and they might not even care, but uh, the last time, because of the pandemic and us doing th- uh, these shows from our homes, you and I have lack- literally not seen each other since, what, March 11th, maybe? March 12th? It has been a really long time. Oh, I've seen you. <laughs> oh, yeah. you. But you're right, though. You haven't seen me, so you're half right. That is creepy, but I'll, mm. we'll just let that one go. But yes, it's a nice shirt today, by the way. Thank it's you. Good very color much. on you. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, there, there will. Uh, one of these days, we'll see each other. What if we do like years of this show, just <laughs> never seeing each other? You're like I'm in Prague right now. I'm like what? <laughs> exactly. Porting from uh, Prague. Well, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Online, 1160hope.com, and get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, Interesting article of Christianity Today. It says, 2020, the gift nobody wanted. But before we discuss that... Uh, Ian is going to tell us about our partners at Thrivent. I would love to. Thrivent.com is where you should be going right now. I'm a Thrivent member, have been for like eight years. They're a Fortune 500 not-for-profit, which that part alone usually baffles people. They've been around for more than a century, though. And uh, I like them for a whole lot of reasons. But this sort of idea of bridging my money with a Christian ethos is harder to find in an organization than you might think. Also, though, if you're looking for a career change, thriving.com slash careers is where I want to encourage you to go. You don't even need to have a background in finance whatsoever. You just got to like caring for people, helping people, coming alongside people. Also, and we've been sharing a bunch of this stuff on our Facebook page, the Common Good Radio Show. They've been hosting webinars and offering free resources and a whole lot of material just because they're good people. So we're big fans of Thrivent. Highly encourage you. Check them out. Go to thrivent.com slash careers and go like their Facebook page. So at Scott McKnight's blog called Jesus Creed at Christianity Today, uh, a guest post from Carmen Joy Imes entitled uh, 2020, The Gift Nobody Wanted, a year with challenges unlike any other year before. Let me begin reading this uh, from Carmen. It says, I think it's safe to say that when 2020 is over, the world will breathe a collective sigh of relief. Several memes on Facebook have illustrated the general sentiment. 2020, the movie written by Stephen King and directed by Quentin Tarantino, or <laughs> where can I get a refund for 2020? I'm not satisfied. Others have given 2020 a one-star rating saying they wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> it says, but as hard as it's been, I'm beginning to think that this was exactly what we needed. I don't mean that in a masochistic way. I don't enjoy suffering. 
I also don't think God planned the coronavirus or the Australian bushfires or the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, or Ahmaud Arbery as a way of testing us. Mm. But God has gifts to give us that can only come wrapped in suffering. Chief among them this year is the gift of sight. As we turn the corner into 2020, I braced myself for the inevitable rush of clever plays on 2020. 2020 vision, seeing clearly, hindsight, etc. I've noticed surprisingly few. But now that we're nearly halfway through the year, it's time. 2020 is revealing things about ourselves and our society that we needed to see. So let me pause there. Uh, what do you think of this just general setup, especially uh, kind of that one line that stuck out to me that it said, as hard as it's been, I'm beginning to think that this is exactly what we needed. Yeah, I forget who said it. It might have been N.T. Wright. What was talking about sort of this like forced Lent, you know, how yeah. and, and this is not just for, you know, our Roman Catholic Orthodox brothers and sisters. A lot of people practice some form of Lent as a discipline every year leading up to Easter. and They choose to refrain from something. Sometimes it's something big, something small. Um, this idea of a forced Lent, though, or, or a forced wilderness, I thought was a really interesting concept because we recognize that like fasting from social media or putting chocolate on hold for 40 days is a is a good thing. And that's, that's part of why we do it every year. But when it's like forced on us, I think everyone gets a little defensive. Like, well, no, I didn't choose to give up this or that or have to deal with a quarantine or you know what I mean? Like there's a there's a certain yeah. level of unpreparedness we have when it's just, when it it just feels like it hit us like a tidal wave which is why right. i think a lot of people myself included felt so ill prepared for it hence the one star rating uh, but i think <laughs> i think this this author might might be onto something that sometimes the stuff that we didn't ask for now this is not at all saying they're like well hey hopefully this is a good spiritual formation season for us while people are still dying and losing loved ones exactly. you know what i mean like it's still incredibly i don't ever want to like simply look at what the benefits of this could be and turn a blind eye to like the very real suffering that people all over the planet are still experiencing. But I think this author might, might have some, some good insight here. Absolutely. Well, uh, she goes on to share a list here as to some of the things we've learned from 2020. So let's make our way through this. The first one, it says we are connected now more than ever. We can see that the entire world is interlaced. Beating the coronavirus has required the cooperation of every country on the planet. Planes, trains and automobiles knit us so tightly together that we cannot face our greatest challenges without a coordinated effort. With borders closed, events canceled, and gatherings prohibited, we're feeling acutely how much connecting we actually do. So saying we're more connected than we even realized. Yeah, the second one says we need to be together. The wonders of technology have not erased our need for handshakes, hugs, and proximity to each other. You and I have been talking a lot about that, actually. Right, right. We are embodied. We are designed to relate to each other as three-dimensional beings who share the same airspace and the same vibe. Singing along to pre-recorded worship doesn't cut it. Zoom doesn't cut it. Relating only on screen further polarizes us because we have fewer social cues by which we can, quote, read the room and build bridges of understanding. It seems we have less wiggle room for disagreement online than we do in person. Hmm. The third one is we are divided. We talk past each other more than we talk to each other. Yeah. Social media becomes either an echo chamber in which we, quote, like those who sound like us or a boxing ring where we duke it out and nobody wins. Hmm. Constructive dialogue seems rare. Uh, given that this is an election year, our divisions are likely to feel even more acute in the coming months. And it goes on to say at the end, for the nation to survive this season, we'll need new ways to get at the underlying values that drive public rhetoric. Wow, that's good. All right, we only have about a minute and a half left, but uh, 
says, we do not all experience the same world. The pandemic disproportionately affects communities that lack infrastructure, such as the Navajo Nation. Stay-at-home orders cause undue hardship for some and feel like a staycation to others. Some of us have jobs that can be done from home. Others have lost jobs or lost wages. Some of us have safe homes. Some of us are in more danger at home than out in the world. Some of us see the police force as our allies, and others of us experience repeated profiling and lack of confidence that law enforcement will actually act lawfully. Hmm. And the last two, it goes like this. The first one, it says, most of most of our work is not as essential as we thought. And then the last one is some things are more important and more urgent than we realized. Man, that's true. Uh, and let me just read the last paragraph, <clears throat> how this closes. We're seeing what's wrong with the way things are. We're discovering weak spots in our supply chain and in our cleaning protocol. We're realizing that our sense of security has been mis- was misplaced that there is much work to do. We're discovering fissures in our foundations and we'll need to persevere through the crisis instead of trying to go back if we want to build something better. We will need each other going forward, all of us, if we are to experience the rich fullness of Christian community. Hmm. Uh, That is Carmen Joy Imes' article entitled 2020, The Gift Nobody Wanted. We're going to put that. It's already up on our Facebook page. We'd love for you to read it and give us your thoughts. Well, the first hour is in the book. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us. Uh, You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up this hour, a new survey about President Trump's white evangelical support, uh, and then the new uh, phase of stress in the pandemic. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're grateful for you joining us on this Wednesday afternoon. As a reminder, oh, there it is. See, it's going to catch on before you know it. I don't think so. (laughs) You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, online at 1160hope.com. Get our podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast, subscribe, rate, and review. I was thinking about podcasting, and uh, you're a big podcast listener. Other than The Common Good, what is your favorite one or two podcasts that you're currently listening to? Oh, I got the library right here. You want me to rattle some off? I do. I think you and I probably listen to vastly different podcasts. but Probably. Let me just read here what's at the top. Uh, Today Explained, Quick to Listen, The Essential Church, Up First, The Daily, What Next, Stuff You Should Know, huh. Shortwave. Bridgetown Church, Pop Culture Happy Hour, 99% Invisible, Relevant Daily, Unseminary, Nomad, StoryCorps, Inverse <laughs> Podcast, <laughs> Things Not Seen, Hidden Brain, uh, Vox, 40 Days in the Old Testament, Theology in the Raw, The Pastor Theologian Podcast, Armchair wow. Expert, Bible Project, How I Built This, The Ezra Klein Show, Monday Morning Pastor, This American Life. Mortified Podcast, Radio Lab, Skim This, <laughs> Chad Radio Hour, Kingdom Roots, Behind the Scenes, Language of God, Heavyweight. That's just a few. Well, thank you for joining us today. <laughs> I got more. You want you want to know more? I do not. That was that was extensive. Ask uh, and you write anything, crafting character, exploring my strange Bible, future perfect. Wow. I think you're interesting. Inefficiency. You are, 
Do you rate and review all of these is the question. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of rating and reviewing. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite podcasts, Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History, just started season five. So, so good. I so am, good. Uh, that's, that's in uh, there. I am really excited about. Did you listen to the first episode of season five or yet? I haven't. Not yet. No. You'd recommend it, though? Yes. Oh, really? I will okay. listen to anything Malcolm Gladwell does. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, basically the first seat, the first episode is it ends up being all about hoarding, but it's centered around um, why would here? I'm, I'm not going to ruin it for you, but basically why do museums cut people and fire people and do this uh, when they have uh, millions upon millions of dollars worth of inventory and storage, but they won't sell anything. Mm. It was fascinating. And so, Interesting. Uh, yeah, that guy is fascinating. And then I'll I was add that to my list. Yes, you should. And then I was listening to one about an old murder in Alaska. <laughs> so it was like a police one. It was really good. That seems on brand for you. It really does. <laughs> You're like on all these deep theology ones. I'm like, murder in Alaska. <laughs> these are not all deep theology ones. But yeah, there's, there's, there's one in there called the Anthropocene Reviewed. That's brilliant. The argument's a great one. The Bible for normal people. The Holy Post. Good friends with them. We like them. That's Neighborly my faith podcast. I, I mean, I, I should stop. There's more. You should. That My brother-in-law, by the way, you named one. He is obsessed with the Ezra Klein podcast. He's oh, always really? trying to get people to that one. Yeah. He said that it's was good. pretty good. It's good. Anyway, and if you've got a podcast a podcast list, that's easy for me to say, uh, go ahead and add uh, the common good to that and subscribe, rate, and review. We are grateful for that. And uh, yeah, we are, we are actually grateful for those of you who do listen to the podcast and just take a second and subscribe and rate and review that for us. So, hey, I want to jump into politics uh, sure. right into the deep end at Religion News. They had this this morning. Surveys suggest protest and not pandemic have lost Trump white evangelical support. Uh, So here's the background. It says the last few months have not been good for President Trump. His administration's response to the coronavirus pandemic has been criticized for being too slow to meet the rising number of cases. Then in just the last few weeks, the killing of a number of black Americans by police and white vigilantes have led to the largest nationwide protest movement since the height of the Vietnam War. Against that backdrop, President Trump is seeking re-election against Joe Biden. In times like these, politicians look for firewalls to minimize the losses. So Data for Progress has been fielding a weekly tracking poll beginning April the 14th, asking Americans who they plan to vote for uh, in 2020. Uh, Clearly, Trump's support has declined while Biden's lead, about five percentage points in April, May, may jump to nearly 14 in this poll. And here's what it's going to go on to say, uh, that overall, the entire sample, if the election for president were held today in April, 40.6% said they'd vote for Donald Trump. In June, it was at 35.3. Among white Catholics, in April, it was 52.1 for Trump. In June, it's 49.7. And among white evangelicals, uh, it was at 68.2% in April. Uh, and then in June, it went down to 59.1. And interestingly, almost all of that number didn't go to unsure or not going to vote, but ended up going to Joe Biden as his went from 21% to 29%. A lot of numbers there, but I'm wondering, Ian, if that's surprising to you or if even that it's uh, the protests and not the pandemic that these people think is what's causing this right now. I, I mean, if I had to, I guess I probably would have put him 
pretty neck and neck, but yeah. that, that perspective, perspective means next to nothing. I'm not a statistician. I'm not a political scientist. That's more of just a, what am I hearing from peers and friends? But yeah, I, I think this whole, it is, I mean, it is probably better to actually read this and see the graphs. It's, it's a hard thing yeah. to do a radio segment on, but it, it did surprise me a little bit. Yeah. And so, uh, they go on to note, it's crucial to note that his response to COVID-19, which relied heavily on insisting on keeping churches open, did not seem to move the needle as much as the recent racial unrest. Uh, and they go on to say that this is going to be a weight around his neck. Uh, now, I know a lot of people who do support President Trump don't put much into these types of polls because he was losing in all the polls uh, against Hillary Clinton. Um, but I guess let's just talk anecdotally. Uh, you and I are both in the white evangelical world. Uh, do you sense there being um, a uh, less of an enthusiasm around President Trump or does this data seem off to you? Uh, no, I don't think it seems off. I don't think it feels like the people that I expected to wane are waning and the people okay. that I expected to be resolute are just as resolute. That's interesting. Uh, I'll close this with, did you see any of the footage from the uh, the church in Phoenix last night where the rally was? Say it again. Did you see any of the footage last night from the mega church in Phoenix where President Trump spoke last night? Did you see I, those two pastors? Did you see I, the two pastors on that viral clip talking about their air system that that uh, uh, that killed 99.9% of COVID? Did you happen to see that as it was flying around? After your recommendation, I did see it. Uh, what were your thoughts on those two guys? I, I think my signal's breaking up here, Brian. Okay. <laughs> we got to wrap up the segment here. Oh, shoot. There's two minutes left. Um, boy, oh, boy. You, it's an unfair question. You want to uh, come back to me on that one? Every now and then, I do see things uh, on the news uh, with other pastors where I just shake my head and go, oh, man, now I know why people like assume things about me or about us what what did you uh, shake your head about them specifically they were and i you know they were every caricature of of kind of the snake oily um snake oil salesman type of pastors like the televangelist type of guys anyone right now who would go on and say that we have a they literally said we have an air filtration system that kills 99 percent per of covid uh, within 10 minutes and then proceeded to say that it was designed by somebody in their church. <laughs> yeah. And I right. was like, Oh, and these guys were just getting killed. And then what happens as on Twitter and Facebook is people are killing, uh, uh, metaphorically speaking, these types of guys, it then proceeds to unravel to, this is what all churches are like. This is about these people who's, and you're just like, no, we're not. It's kind of like that whole Westboro Baptist thing. So it always makes me cringe a little bit. And that's funny that you say that because that was exactly how you teetered up for me. You're like, oh, they, they are the quintessential snake oil televangelist. And I, I actually didn't think that about them specifically, to be honest, like, oh, really? No, I really didn't. When I when I think quintessential those things, I really did. Based on how you would sort of set it up, I I did expect something much much different. To be honest. Oh, good. Well, I'm I'm glad they came in more normal after how I set it up for you. <laughs> hey, well, coming up next, we're going to go back and talk about the pandemic, specifically an article that says that we've entered a new pandemic phase. That is more stressful than the lockdown. We're going to talk about that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. 
Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. Let me remind you uh, where you can find the articles we've been discussing, the interviews we did, or if you're just wondering about the long list of podcasts on Ian's phone, uh, where you can go back. (laughs) <laughs> where you can go back and hear those. So go uh, to our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. You can find us online at 1160hope.com and get our podcast. Wherever it is you get your podcast, subscribe, rate, and review. That really does help us, and we are grateful for those of you uh, who have done that. Well, at the website, scarymommy.com, there's this article. Uh, this new pandemic phase is more stressful than the lockdown. What's going on in this article? Yeah, so this is a website that Brian has bookmarked on his homepage. <laughs> he's, he's pretty constantly bringing up. So every once in a while, I try to throw him a bone and pull an article from there just because he brings I it up. I see what you did there. So much. I see what you did. But this article is by a woman named Karen Johnson just a couple days ago. And here's how she begins. She says, so it's pandemic phase two, three, 103. Who knows? Whatever phase we're in, for me, that old familiar exhaustion is back. You know the one. It's not like yawn tired. Rather, it's tired to the bone exhaustion. I felt it in March as the world crashed, as my kids' school locked up their doors indefinitely, and I abruptly became a first, third, and fifth grade teacher. And we fr- uh, frantically tried to find masks and toilet paper and learn how to navigate the grocery delivery. Our family eats a lot of cereal, we quickly learned. It was all scary and new, and each day brought another challenge to figure out. I remember that during those first few weeks, I felt mentally and physically depleted by the end of the day. After navigating each child's Google Hangout and Zoom chat schedules, figuring out what, I think that's a swear word, TF, is that <laughs> what what the heck a comparison oh, bar yes is? It is. <laughs> For a second, I was like, this is technology I don't understand. And how to submit my first grader's math worksheet on Seesaw, helping my fifth grader choose a memoir topic, learning Google Slides for the first time so my third grader could make a presentation about manatees while also, you know, doing my own actual job for which I am paid and also making sure everyone else ate a vegetable, washed washed their bodies and brushed their teeth on occasion, kept them quiet when my husband had work calls, kept them quiet when I had work calls, swept the floor so we don't get ants. Checked on my children's mental health as weeks ticked by without in-person contact to the outside world. Exercise and drank water, you know, self-care. Called my parents and sister and ensured everyone was healthy. Yeah, tired. But over time, we settled into our new normal. The kids knew the general schedule of the day and got used to making their own breakfast and most days lunch as well. I figured out Seesaw and Google Classroom and Zoom. I still don't get the wonky way they do math now, but whatever. And my energy slowly came back. We all made peace with our reality that we weren't able to see friends. That horseback riding was canceled, that baseball and tennis, and that there were no play dates or going to restaurants or visiting grandparents. Over time, my kids just stopped asking. We all kind of stopped thinking about it, and life went on. The fog of depression lifted just a little bit, and we didn't really feel like we were missing out on a whole lot because everyone we knew was hunkered down like we were. We found bits of joy and learning to grill our own pizzas, play family board games, make campfires, let the kids sleep in their basement forts, and stay up late watching movies. April went by, and then May, but now June seems different. June means actual warm weather for the northern Midwest where I live, and it seems the reopening of the world. I'm realizing that the emergence of people from their homes into society has brought back that old, tired feeling I battled at the onset of this pandemic. Again, I'm wandering around in a zombie-like trance, trying to adapt the, the new way of things similar to how I did in March. 
and finding myself barely able to make it through dinner, skipping my daily workouts and handing ben, uh, handing ben, bedtime over to my husband while I pass out in a drooling heap on the couch. <laughs> Tired isn't even the right word. Exhaustion doesn't seem to do it justice. What then do I call this and why has this all returned? Honestly, I think it's a new type of fatigue brought on by the world seeming to be, quote, all done with COVID-19, where COVID-19 is nowhere near being all done with us. I'll stop there. I think this, yeah. this article isn't just for moms or even just for parents, no. to be honest. it I do understand what she's getting at. That's sort of like, okay, we it was the panic of the, the initial news, the initial shift, almost adrenaline, though you and I talked about that, how even in church world, it was yeah. almost like interesting. Like, okay, we had to strategize and figure it out. The adrenaline wore off. Then you kind of got into your patterns. And I totally feel this now that, you know, you want to try and go out or resume some kind of normalcy. But it's like if you see someone that you recognize, do you shake their hand or shoot? We forgot masks or all those added stressors that, you know, six months ago were it just wasn't a part of our life. And I don't are you feeling some of that same stress yourself or is this like you're you're just you're just beyond all this? No, I actually do feel this. When I first read it, I said, oh, I get that because I do like you remember when this all started and it was all new and and. And then it kind of became our normal way of being in the house, but still trying to figure things out. And I think she describes it really well. There was that kind of tiredness, uh, but then you got used to it. And now that things are going opening up again, it's like you have to keep thinking through uh, even some of the small stuff. Like my son has started practicing baseball again and is going to start playing games again. And you're like, I'm super excited about that. But like, oh, my gosh, now we have a schedule. Is right. it safe? How do right. we do this? Oh, now on Friday, we can go inside restaurants. Do I want to do? And it feels like we're having to think through all these things, right? That just make you mind tired. And then she, you know, that doesn't even take into account what she's talking about later on here about, do I even want to go back to how things are when you turn on the news and it seems like the coronavirus is still getting worse in some places. Thankfully, it's doing well in Illinois right now, but in other places, uh, and it's, she says, it seems like I'm stuck in a maze, gripping the hands of my children as door after door after door opens, beckoning me to enter doors to the park, the pool, the library, a friend's house, festivals, concerts. And we keep saying no, she writes, but another door immediately opens. Like it opens up this whole new pressure about like, do we let our kids go play with other kids? You probably have to think about, do we go to the park and play on the play on the playground right. uh, churches? Do we open up churches? I get this. There's a whole We've moved into a new season, I think, and with each new season, I do think it's it's tiring and stressful. Yeah, and she does go on to mention something I've talked about, how you know my kids are two and a half and one and a half, which, I mean, full disclosure, does bring its own unique level of stress, but we haven't had to miss any major milestones. Like, I have a number of friends, my brother-in-law, uh, you know, like senior graduations or the decision, like, will, will you be going off to college or any, you know, like... We haven't really had to navigate a lot of that. And to be honest, my kids are so young that there hasn't even really been any kind of opportunity to have to explain any of this to them. Where for your kids, I'm sure you've had to have multiple sit downs like, hey, this is why we're not doing this yet. Even though so and so I feel like it's bringing back all the well, I'm not so and so's dad. You know, the well, they're doing a barbecue or they're doing a pool party or they're doing a why can't we? That's going to I think that's going to continue, you know, into July where a lot of families are making decisions for themselves. And like she says, some people are saying we flatten the curve and other people are saying the numbers continue to rise. And it's like, oh, man, how do you how do you lead a family, let alone like a church or a business where yeah. everything sort of seems to be upside down still? 
Yeah, it's so hard. Like we joked yesterday, but our program director, Marcus Brown, is regularly posting charts on his Twitter account that really are encouraging, right? About like, all right, it's time to reopen. It's time for this. And then you literally look at the next person on your Twitter feed and it's like, this is about to get worse than it's ever been. And you're like, I don't really know what to do right now. Right, right. Uh, and, and she does. She mentions here what you were just touching on. Like, there's the hard part about some families are like, all right, back to normal. Go hang out with your friends. We're doing everything. We're doing this and that. And other people, but where she's like, no, we're not ready for that. And I totally get that. I tend to be, uh, now that we're going to phase four, like, I'm like, I probably am a little too loose at the moment. Like, all right, they said we can open, we're going to open, we're going to do this stuff. But I totally get the fatigue. Uh, and the hard part is even in marriages when you don't necessarily agree uh, with parenting and stuff. So I get this, man. This All the questions about uh, it felt like we all got into a rhythm of being home. And now as happy as I am about being able to go do stuff, uh, it does add stress that I think is going to be hard in our day-to-day work lives and our family lives with our kids. And uh, we're just going to have to learn to navigate this. Yeah. Not to mention, and she does actually talk about this, the decision fatigue that a lot of people are feeling where you're having to make a whole lot more decisions or different types of decisions that we've never had to make. I'm a little surprised that you're feeling more loose. I feel like you tend to be the more cautious one. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I, I feel like me having little kids has certainly informed a lot of my approach. If we didn't have little, little kids, I think I'd, I'd probably be a little different, but also just a fair warning. There is one of the uh, one of the big boy swear words at the very end of this article too, just in case someone, big boy swear words. Someone, someone, <laughs> someone's reading this on the Facebook page and they're like, "Ah, I can't believe those fools at the Common Good shared God. this article." Just oh, that's fair, funny. Fair warning, it's there. Uh, I would say I would actually when when my attitude right now uh, is much. I think I said this to you yesterday or the day before. My attitude is pretty conservative about being inside with people and pretty open about being outside with people. It's kind of where I am right now. Um, and thankfully, the weather's good enough that we can be outside a lot. And so, yeah, decision fatigue, uh, something I haven't thought about, but have certainly felt. We'd love to hear what you've got to say. Uh, this is up at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Well, coming up next, religion and politics wrote an article about the coming religion recession. That's next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. That was a, that was a new intro right there for you, man. Sounded almost tipsy just there. It did. It did. It was supposed to be Southern, but it didn't come across that way. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was Southern. But I did it on the spur of the moment. I didn't give it enough thought. So ah, ah, one spur of, the, of the moment, I, like a cowboy reference. I get it. <laughs> one of these other times. Uh, but anyway, that voice you hear is Ian Simpkins. I'm Brian Fromm. We are glad that you're joining us today on The Common Good. Uh, you can find all the articles that we're discussing or the interviews that we do. Uh, at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Also, uh, Twitter and Instagram, at Common Good Talk. Online, 1160hope.com, and find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. We're grateful for those of you who do that. Uh, our friend Dan Ehrman, who we work with at the station, passed mm-hmm. on an article from Religion and Politics called The Coming Religion Recession, we're going to discuss that here. But first, Ian's going to tell us again about Thrivent. Yeah, a couple of things. Thrivent, who has a new logo, by the way. I know that wow. people have been very vocal about their feelings of the new logo. I'd love to know what you think. It's amazing the things that people feel super strongly about. Either way, 
They're a Fortune 500 non-for-profit that's been around for more than a century. That's a big deal. I've been a Thrivent member for like eight years. I would encourage you to check out Action Teams, by the way, because that's one of my favorite things they do. You can learn more at Thrivent.com. But also, Thrivent.com slash careers is a really, really great place for people young and old to go. If you're looking or even considering a possible career change, you do not have to have a degree or a background in finance. You just got to like helping people. If you don't like helping people, probably not a great fit. If you do in some capacity, I would encourage you to check them out. Also, you can like their Facebook page, in particular, the Thrivent Member Network Chicagoland region. And we share a lot of their stuff on our Facebook page because they're providing all sorts of really wonderful free resources and webinars, stuff for adults, stuff for kids. So all that to say, we are super grateful for Thrivent. And I think you would do well to at least check them out because I think they're great. Absolutely. Well, at Religion and Politics, David Gibson wrote The Coming Religion Recession. Let me read the beginning of it. He says, as a stir-crazy nation slowly emerges from the COVID-19 pandemic, debates about what our, quote, new normal will be like are intensifying. Will the shock of the lockdown bring transformative moment, uh, bring a transformative moment of social solidarity or tear us apart in tribal strife? Will there be a baby boom or a baby bust? More marriages or more divorces? Capitalism is over, some say, while others promise the rich will only get richer. The future of our national religious life is also the subject of growing speculation, with the sunny side up view arguing that we are primed for a new, quote, great awakening of the sort of the sort that have periodically transformed American culture. This revival will be spurred, the thinking goes, by a flood of Americans who ache for a return to communal worship that has been denied them for months. They will be joined by newcomers who, chastened by this national memento mori, discover or rediscover the balm of faith. Could a plague of biblical proportions be America's best hope for religious revival? Robert Nicholson wrote in the Wall Street Journal. There is reason to think so. Uh, Shadi Hamid of the Brookings Institution had the same question. It could go the other way, he tweeted, but my instinct is to think that a great awakening is now more likely, at least in America, by 2050. To many, the prospect of a resurgence in religious observance is an enticing vision because faith communities can be anchors of social solidarity, which has been steadily eroding for decades. Let me pause Mm -hmm. there. Uh, You and I, we've had this conversation on and off during this pandemic. Uh, But as we start to emerge, uh, he's going to argue more for a recession, a religious recession out of the gate here rather than a great awakening. Uh, What are kind of your expectations societally as it uh, relates towards faith? I mean, those seem to change every passing day. You know, we we talked about that. I don't know if it was really a feud, but that's sort of like digital beef between Mike Frost and Kerry Newhoff. Kerry, who was kind of saying this is going to be great. Holy cow, church attendance is already up 6,000% or whatever. (laughs) Mike saying, this is actually going to set us back two and a half decades based on kind of what he was seeing. His, his argument is really more like it's, we're being driven even more so now into sort of an entertainment driven consumeristic perspective around church and church gatherings. So I, I kind of go back and forth to be honest. I think the initial recession makes sense because it's still going to – I mean, even if you look at a, a classic bell curve around early adoption, right, there's just going to be a ton of people who, if they were not completely sold out in the first place, they're not likely going to risk 
health in any capacity uh, to head back to a building somewhere if, if, if for them it was more, you know, optional. Um, but I, it does kind of go back to a lot of the research that we've seen in the last 10 years over the, uh, the rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And a lot right. of the claims there is not that like Christianity is on any kind of decline. We're just sort of seeing the people that were sort of n- not really fully in in the first place have stopped pretending or have stopped, you know, participating, even though they were kind of fringe members anyway or fringe observers. So I do wonder if like something like, you know, this this pandemic will will not necessarily cause a decline, but it will probably reveal, I guess, like what's most important to people. And that's yeah. not to say that's not at all to say I feel like I need to correct myself here because there, there's going to be plenty of people who are totally sold out to Jesus, yes. the church, his mission. And for a long, 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 long time are still going to feel skittish about going back to a building. I'm not at all saying mm-hmm. there's a correlation a direct, you know, dotted or solid line between the two. Uh, but it does, it does seem like it's going to shake a bunch of things up for a lot of people. Yeah. He brings up an interesting point that I hadn't thought about. He said uh, in the past, when there's been pandemics or there's been natural disasters and pastors and churches have been able to be on the front lines that it kind of, uh, kind of um, won them favor, if you will, mm. uh, or showed them to be different. But part of what happened during COVID-19 is that, uh, pastors have and hospital chaplains have been necessarily sidelined, right? We were all in our homes. Right. right. Uh, and that the martyrs of COVID-19, he writes, are the doctors and nurses and essential workers who keep hospitals running, grocery shelves stocked, mass transit running, and sanitation crews and truck lines operating, the people that Pope Francis calls the saints next door. Uh, and he says, so people aren't necessarily linking hope with the church coming out of this. And I, I hadn't really thought about that. I think that is... Uh, interesting. He says, another argument for a post-pandemic revival rests with what is known as, quote, existential security theory or the religious comfort hypothesis, social scientist way of saying that there are no atheists in foxholes. Existential security theory, he writes, was popularized by political scientists Pippa Norris and Ronald Inglehart in a 2004 study that sought to explain why the global population is getting more religious, not more secular, as conventional wisdom suggests. Their explanation the continuing experience of death and grief causes people to turn to religion as a balm. Richer and more secure societies, the argument goes, have less need for religion because faith in progress and policies. Uh, and in the United States, a belief in our protected status as blessed by the Almighty stands in for the comforts of traditional religion. But what then happens when things get torn apart? I think, I do think this is really interesting because there is. The safety net's been pulled away for a lot of people. So does that drive people to God or church has been taken away from people in the sense of Sunday morning and being together? And do people go, oh, I made out okay without it. Uh, I do think it's going to be interesting to watch what happens in the coming months and even years as a result of this pandemic. I think a lot of people, too, are looking at churches to see how we're behaving when we lose our Sunday morning gathering. Right. If 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 too much of the emphasis was on putting on a great show on Sunday, I think our neighborhoods and communities are going to pay attention to that and go, wow, they, with, without that event, our, that church does not really have much of a presence here. And I think that's going to be a gauge that a lot of people are going to look at. I'm really fascinated by his last like two paragraphs. We might go a little long on this one, but I just want to read it. Because even the past is not what we thought. During this contemporary plague, many have harked back to the Black Death of the 14th century, noting that it was widely credited with uh, sparking everything from the Reformation the end of feudalism. Yet, according to Ben Gummer, the author of Scourging, uh, the Scourging Angel, 
a 2009 history of the bubonic plague, the effect of the Black Death was not to launch a revolution in the medieval world, but at most to accelerate an evolution that was already taking place. That may well be the result of this pandemic. There have always been those spiritual but not religious souls among Americans who prefer to worship at home or in nature's outdoor cathedrals, as Emily Dickinson, who would have uh, reveled in a lockdown order, put down put this in 1864. Some keep the Sabbath going to church. I keep it staying at home with a bobolink for a chorister and an orchard for a dome. Our current evolution has meant there are many more religious nuns, like I was saying, among us. And the pandemic may well accelerate their numbers. Religion is good for religious people, as the saying goes, but everyone else prefers to walk their own spiritual path. Whatever changes are in store, religious observance is one barometer for gauging social cohesion and resilience. And the fate of faith in a post-pandemic America may be an early indicator of the social contagions of the new normal. It all seems Mm. to point to a future in which religious distancing increases even as social distancing ends. And that's a dispiriting outcome for society that will need all the solidarity it can get. Again, it's like 2,000 words long. I would encourage you to go read the whole thing because it's really, really thought-provoking. Absolutely. So thanks to Dan Ehrman. There's a lot more stats in here and history that is really, Uh really good. So thanks to Dan Ehrman for passing that on to us. As Ian said, you can find that at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Well, coming up next, we're going to end the show the same way we do each and every day with Interweb Insanity. That's next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, hope for your life. And that music can only mean one thing. It is the end of our show. It is Interweb Insanity, where we read uh, stories from the internet given to us sight unseen by Keith Conrad, our executive producer. Uh, Hopefully they give you laughs. Every now and then they'll make you cringe. Uh, but we're in this right here with you. So, uh, Ian, why don't you do the first one for us today? I'd love to. Out of Nevada or Nevada, depending on your persuasion. Las Vegas I'm a Casino Nevada, Company. I'm a Nevada guy. Yeah, Nevada. That's good to know. Las Vegas <laughs> Casino Company giving guests $20 to gamble if they wear a mask. Oh, that's nice. Oh, nice. You don't have to be a high roller to earn the latest perk in Las Vegas. All you have to do is wear a mask. Caesars Entertainment is giving people $20 to gamble if they wear a mask to one of their five casinos, Caesars Palace, Caesars Entertainment, uh, Flamingo, The Link, and Haras. I don't know why I read all of them. Like, people are just waiting by their their radios to know which ones are doing this. The deal only applies to Caesars Rewards members wearing masks, but anyone can sign up for their rewards program for free. See, now I feel like I'm reading a commercial for them. (laughs) Over the weekend, Caesars Entertainment gave away $7,500 to nearly 400 guests. Vegas Casino shut down mid-March due to COVID-19 pandemic. They began to reopen in June with health and safety modifications to protect employees and guests from the virus. Money, money, money. Money. Next one's out of Delaware. Swimmer caught on camera catching shark off the Delaware coast. Oh, my goodness. This picture is crazy. That's unbelievable. A swimmer was recorded over the weekend catching and displaying a shark in Delaware. Fox 5's Ike Ijiaki discovered that the swimmer has professional training and he was trying to remove a hook from the shark's jaw. It's illegal in Delaware to fish for sharks, and if you catch them, you must return them to the water as quickly as possible. A number of sharks can be found in both the Delaware Bay and the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, In addition to dogfish sharks and popular sport fishing species such as the mako and the thresher, anglers may encounter several prohibited species. 
including sandbar and sand tiger sharks. You're going to need a bigger boat. Oh, Brian, you were telling me about this next one from uh, you were reading on scarymommy.com, I think. Uh, out of Ireland, <laughs> father and son team, uh, father and son team up to build sauna at home during coronavirus lockdown. I've seen a lot of these, by the way. People like build wow. saunas or like really, really elaborate, uh, like she sheds or like backyard pubs. Yes. It's amazing. A father and son from Ireland had some extra time on their hands during the lockdown amid the novel coronavirus pandemic. Fionn Condren and his father, Brendan, teamed up to build a sauna in their garage amid the country's ongoing COVID-19 restrictions. The four-minute video, which was posted to YouTube, features a time-lapse of the pair's progress, constructing the sauna from start to finish at their home in Gorey, Ireland. According to Storyful, Fionn always wanted to build a sauna at home but never had the time to do it. My father had never built a sauna before, Fionn said. But he is very good with his hands and would have a decent knowledge of how to do tiling, plumbing, and electrical work. It's like a sauna in here. I'm not a big fan of the sauna, so I'm not really? going to take from that one. No, not, not really. Ah, it's too hot. Too hot. Uh, <laughs> like an oven. <laughs> it is a little bit like an oven. That's that, You're not wrong there. Uh, next one, our friends from Florida. Hmm. Couple takes furniture near Best Western Dumpster. Now hotel could pursue legal action. Wow. Best Western could pursue legal action against a North Fort Myers couple after they took wicker furniture that was by the trash bin and upcycled it. Corey Price and Tiffany Quinn were out to dinner at Three Fishermen uh, Seafood when they saw all of the wicker furniture by Best Western's dumpster and thought it was up for grabs. The couple took it, fixed it up, and resold it to someone on Facebook Marketplace for $200. Fast forward to June 18th. A Lee County Sheriff deputy knocked on their door asking about stolen furniture. I myself didn't have malicious intent. I never tried to hide what I did. And at the first opportunity, I spoke up and said, yes, I did take that price set. Best Western staff said the wicker furniture was actually near their dumpster because it was in its maintenance area against an outbuilding. The hotel didn't have cushions on the furniture at the time because they were reupholstering them and fixing them. I couldn't say that word. For the pools area, Best Western is trying to settle this situation with a couple by having them just pay them back two hundred dollars. If night, if not, they might take the incident to court. If you don't mind, Clark, I'd like to see if I can fumigate this here chair. For the record, I was not laughing at your pronunciation. I was laughing at all of the absurd detail in the story. It yes, just felt like upholstering. I got the word there. Okay. No, no, no. That's not. It was just so much detail. All right. It last was. but not least, China man's bladder ruptures after holding in pee. <laughs> For 18 hours after beer binge. Ending why strong. Why do I always get these stories? A Chinese man will learn the hard way to always answer when nature calls. Oh, boy. According to <laughs> Zuji Daily, a 40-year-old man identified only as Mr. Who downed 10 bottles of beer and didn't relieve himself before falling asleep. Abdominal agony led him to a hospital in eastern China where a CT scan showed his bladder had torn oh. in three places. One of the tears oh. faced his abdominal cavity, which allowed part of the intestines to spill into his bladder, a potentially oh. deadly complication. When you gotta go, you gotta go. Oh, that is a nasty story to end with. There's a lesson in there somewhere, but we're just going to let you figure that one out yourself. Yeah, that one might not make it to the Sermon Illustration Bank. <laughs> no, not at all. We're glad you joined us. Go find us on, a, on the podcast or at Facebook. There you can find the interview we did today with Andrew Lee, the stories we talked about, and also you can find out all about the podcast Ian listens to. Uh, but we hope you join us again tomorrow from 4 to 6 for Until 6 uh, for Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks a lot for joining us. You've been listening to The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your love.